everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here with I Need No Name right after Germany's big 1-1 draw with Spain. <laughs> it lacked in a lot of good football, I thought, but it was pretty dramatic, especially at the end. Two historical nations just going at each other. It was not a great match, but I'll tell you, it did keep me on the edge of my seat because uh, it, it was nerve wracking. If you were a Germany fan, I need no name. How are you doing? What did you think of this one right off the bat? Well, just just to give you an idea of what I think, it is almost 3 a.m. here in India and I am wide awake. I don't think <laughs> I'm going to sleep tonight because that game was it gave me heart attacks. Honestly, like I started the game thinking Germany are going to get smacked. Then after the first half, I thought, okay, maybe the gap is not as big as I thought, but Flick has messed up. Then when Spain scored, I thought, okay, it's all over. There's no way Germany get back into this. <laughs> and at full time, I was thinking, damn, Germany Germany could have come out of that with a win. So lots of mixed feelings. And I guess we should talk about it. Like there's a lot to talk about, I think. Um, and absolutely. And where else would you start than with the starting lineup? And who Flick rolled out there at the beginning, because I think for a lot of people, this was a little bit different than what was expected. We had seen some reports that Flick would go in a couple of different directions with his starters. But in the end, uh, I think he went about where most people thought. But they're still with with the, the players that were selected, still a little bit of surprise to that. So let's just go right down the 11. Manuel Neuer started a goalkeeper. The center backs were Antonio Rudiger and Nicolas Sula. Sula, of course, transitioned in from right back. The outside back combination was David Rahm on the left side and Tilo Kerrer on the right side. Kerrer, of course, is not necessarily a BFW favorite. The midfield was a trio today, and it was with Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, and Ilkay Gundogan. The wingers, Jamal Musiala and Serge Gnabry, and Thomas Muller started as what I would call a false nine. I need no name. I'm sure you'll have some thoughts about Muller's performance I came away thinking that's not the role for him, even though I kind of advocated for this at one point. He looks to me like he's still injured because I don't think he brought a lot to the match, but we can touch on that in a bit. What did you think about this lineup? Did you think this was the right way for Flick to go or should he have done something different entering this match? Well, quite frankly, it was a terrible lineup because no striker. Like what, what do we have to say to make Flick understand that Germany needs a proper striker at the top of the lineup. Like, I don't understand a guy who understands at least Thomas Muller as well as he does. Why would you play Thomas Muller in a false nine role where he is essentially playing like Timo Werner used to when he would start for Germany, where he's forced to chase down the goalkeeper and the Spanish centre-backs instead of doing anything productive by being in the attacking midfield position. Look at how the game changed when Nicholas Fulkrug came on. It was a completely different Germany side that we saw in the final 20 minutes compared to the first 70 or so. And that I put down simply to the fact that Hansi Flick botched the lineup. You have, first of all, the fact that Gundogan started again. I, I, I know that a lot of people over the course of the week have revised their opinions of how Gundogan performed against Japan, deciding that his substitution was the reason that Germany collapsed against Japan. First of all, it wasn't. And second, that he is he had a good performance against Japan, but I don't think he did. But look, when he was subbed, Germany got better because he was not offering anything 
in that attacking midfield role that he was put into because it wasn't you called it a 4-3-3 right when you were describing it but it wasn't a traditional 4-3-3 right no it was, it was more like a 4-2-3-1 but with an extremely defensive or control oriented <laughs> yeah. attacking midfielder and no traditional striker so what what do you do with that nothing that left everyone else on the pitch just unable to fulfill their roles spain found it very easy to play out the back. They found it very easy to progress the ball. That meant that Germany's fullbacks, who are not that great to start with, Tilo Kerrer and David Raum, they couldn't go up the pitch. With them unable to go up the pitch, suddenly you have Serge Gnabry and Jamal Musiala unable to get the ball and unable to have any support. So they were completely neutered. And then you have the fact that the middle is completely congested with Ilkay Gundogan, Joshua Kimmich, and Leon Goretzka fighting for the same spaces. And then you finally have Thomas Muller completely isolated right at the top of the lineup, unable to get the ball in any kind of space, in any kind of like in any kind of decent attacking position. So overall, I just don't know what Flick was thinking. I guess he thought that he was scared of Spain's midfield three and decided this is how we're going to roll just to stop that midfield three from overrunning us. But didn't he watch Bayern Munich versus Barcelona? Because this is Barcelona's midfield three, isn't it? And we saw Barcelona, you will remember this, in the game at the Allianz Arena, Barcelona in the first half, they completely overran Bayern Munich's midfield. But then in the second half, what did Nagelsmann do? He subbed on Leon Goretzka. And then that midfield duo of Goretzka and Kimmich, suddenly they had Barcelona under control. The second half of that game was nowhere near as bad as the first. So I don't know why Flick could have seen that and decided, no, he needs Gunnogan in the midfield to control the midfield against Spain. Because first of all, Germany had no control. And second, it just made them too passive. They just did not accomplish anything in the first 70 minutes of the game. Yeah, I kind of wonder if this was a, a, a breakdown in how the players were supposed to execute the game plan or if this was just a faulty game plan, and that's what I don't know. What I, what I don't know is, is this a case of Gunduan kind of going off the script and pushing himself in the areas where he should not have been causing all of these breakdowns? Or was this really him just playing a 4-2-3-1 and thinking Gunduan would be the best available option to fill that 10 role? I, I don't know. I would love to hear reporters ask Flick that question because you're right. The way that that formation played out, whatever it really was, it left so many gaps. And it created so many issues for Germany, it didn't make sense as to what they were doing. And you're right, with the way Thomas Muller had to play that false nine role, he was put in a spot where it would have been okay for someone like Timo Werner to execute that because it was a lot of ball chasing and honestly having to rely on foot speed, which at this stage of his career is not exactly Muller's strength. It was a really odd way to use Muller. I don't think, I honestly thought he had a terrible game because he wasn't involved. And I'm not saying he made a lot of mistakes. I'm not saying his decision-making was poor. He just really couldn't be involved in the attack the way you would want him involved. So I think part of that is on Flick. I don't think Mueller on the pitch problem-solved at all to try and figure out a way to get involved. But to me, the way that Germany looked, especially in the beginning of the match, was very disjointed, which has become a theme over the past, what, five to six matches that Germany has played. And I'm really concerned about where this is going because. It seemed like Flick, at the very beginning when he took over, knew exactly what he wanted to do. He had the players who he wanted to use. Now he's had a couple of those players either get injured or really fall out of form, 
And it seems like he's scrambling to cobble together ideas on just how to proceed here. And from game to game, it just doesn't look like it's working. And to me, like, have you ever seen Flick look so nervous on the bench? Because he was always at Bayern Munich and even earlier in his tenure with the German national team, he always looked so confident. But now I really felt like he was nervous and I'd never seen that from before. Yeah, he almost looks like he's out of ideas on the bench, right? right? Yeah, because you think about any time when Flick was under the hammer at Bayern Munich, he always looked angry. He always had instructions for his team. And here today, he was just stroking his chin. He was just looking wide-eyed at what is going on. And he just did not seem to have answers. He was just thinking, what can I do to make this team better? And it's weird to me. Like, why he would be so confused? Because the solutions seem obvious, don't they? You talked about how you can't figure out whether the problem with Germany was whether the players weren't executing the tactics all right, or whether the problem was with the tactics themselves. And I would say the tactics were the major problem, because look at Muller. First of all, he had an ineffective game. But in the first 70 minutes of the game, who else was ineffective? Pretty much everyone else. And especially... Jamal Muziala, who is probably, I think, one of Germany's best players and definitely Bayern Munich's best player this season. He was also completely and utterly ineffective in the role that he was given because he was not receiving the ball in positions he was comfortable with. When he did get the ball, he was immediately surrounded by a cadre of Spanish defenders who, to be frank, they weren't defending all that well. It's not like we were playing prime Atletico Madrid today. Spain had a defensive mistake or two in them, but Muziala could not get past him because he was just surrounded immediately. And that's a tactical issue. It's not a player issue, right? Because the way that the German team was set up, Muziala was constantly getting the ball in positions where he couldn't take advantage of it. And that completely neutered him. So if a player can, like Muziala can be rendered ineffective by the tactics, I don't think that we should be blaming the players themselves for being unable to execute the manager's vision. This is the vision that Flick envisioned for his team at the risk of sounding redundant. Like, look, there was no Gagan pressing again for the second game running. Very is this a Flick approach? Is this is this a Flick team? Is, did did he get like I don't know? Is this this an imposter among us? I don't I don't get it because like if you play this conservatively against Spain, what are they going to do? They're just going to keep the ball and keep probing you and eventually get a goal, which eventually happened. And even in the first half where it did end nil-nil, but you can admit that Germany were just barely keeping their heads above the water while Spain was just cruising. So overall, even though the end of the game, I would say one all seems like a fair result given the dominance that Germany showed in the final 20, Overall, Spain maybe deserved to come out of this game with at least three points, given how they performed in the majority of the match and how they failed to capitalize on it. And of course, that is the tactical overview of the game. But there are some individual performances that we do need to talk about. I'll give it to you to start. Absolutely. And I guess one thing that we should probably just do is a quick rundown of what happened, because you and I could go on and on and on about just the starting lineup and the tactics were that were deployed. And we could probably do a two hour show just on that. Some of our listeners probably are wondering, well, how did this all break out? Maybe they didn't see the match. So we'll give you a quick rundown and then okay. we will. Yeah. I forgot. We that will go don't. right into those players because we can yeah. even touch on some of them as we hit this, because this is, it's pretty interesting to see how things played out as I need no name really described greatly in depth. 
Bayern was, I'm, I'm sorry, Germany really was disjointed. And part of the reason I just slipped and said Bayern is because some of the biggest problems out on the pitch, they really were Bayern players. And I'll use this example. In the 10th minute, Germany gets a break. They're hard charging down the field. Gundogan has a nifty little flick to Goretzka. Goretzka takes it. He's driving, he's driving, and he just holds it one touch too long. Waits, Serge Gnabry goes offside, kills an opportunity. And that is really what most of the game was like for Germany. It was a bad touch here, a bad decision there, poor execution on a pass. And, and I think that that really encapsulates what happened with Germany for the majority of this match. So as that first half went on, there were many frustrating moments. There were some crazy sequences. One in the 25th minute I could think of where I just Gundogan, who, I, again, I'm one of these people, I kind of question why he's there, but he was pushed really far up into the play. Gnabry ends up with the ball on his foot, hits a shot extremely wide, which was par for the course, because I thought Gnabry was pretty terrible as well today. Gundogan inexplicably makes no run to the back post. <laughs> In fact, he almost looked annoyed that he had to even see the ball go by him. So, I mean, little things like that, that to me, some, some of them were about effort some of them were about energy just being engaged in what you were actually doing out on the pitch those little things added up because a trash goal like that might have been would have turned things around immensely i mean otherwise in the first half it was pretty uneventful it ended nil nil the biggest thing that happened was in the 40th minute yashua Kimmich sent a perfect ball off of the head of antonio rudiger who just was what uh, an elbow offside it was a killer because, again, that would have changed so much momentum. So we entered halftime, nil-nil, and things just kept going. But in the 54th minute, Spain made a very key sub, one that would be game-changing. That's Alvaro Morata came on for Ferran Torres. Torres did not offer much on the day. There were some threatening runs by him, but nothing crazy. Morata, of course, he just has a knack for scoring, and that would come into play just eight minutes later when he converted a nice ball in from Jordi Alba. Morata just got his body positioned in front of Nicholas Sula. And unfortunately for Sula, he looked like he was going to be the bad kind of goat on the day and uh, got bailed out because Flick then got desperate, brought in Leroy Sané for Ilkay Gundogan, brought in Nicholas Fulkrug for Thomas Miller, brought in Lucas Klosterman, something I've been hoping to see for Tilo Kerrer. And I thought it did change things around. In a crazy, crazy way, it did re-energize the German team. And if you saw I Need No Name, when you looked at Leroy Sané and how... He was able to get out on the pitch and change things. You had to be impressed because he brought something that was not there. It was a little bit of flair, a little bit of creativity, and I think it made a big impact. Yeah, that is the major thing. Then suddenly it looked like Spain were the ones scrambling. Like they were in control up to that point. I should point out that even though we mentioned Germany did have a few chances up to that mm -hmm. point, Spain were completely in control for 99% oh, of the proceedings, even when Germany had possession. When Sané came on, it was suddenly a different story. Suddenly Germany could get not only their midfield forward and their attackers forward, the fullbacks were suddenly bounding up the pitch. Immediately Spain was stretched. They were having to actually defend spaces where Germany had not even seen the ball up to that point. And Jamal Muziala, suddenly he came to life. He was getting chances. He was dribbling past everyone. He was showing the kind of promise that we told everyone we would see before the World Cup. And then finally, I think it was past the 80th minute. Honestly, I had given up hope by that point. But Nicholas Volkrug, he headed in it in. Or was it a header? No, it was actually... No, it was just, an it was, it, it was just yeah. a normal shot. Because it was, I think it was a vertical pass. 
by Leroy Sané. He cut inside, passed straight up the pitch like he has been doing for Bayern so well. And it was, I think, either Maziala tapped it to Fulkrug who shot it past Unai Simon or it was it just fell to Fulkrug straight away and he slotted it past Unai Simon and that was just a great goal and there was nothing Spain could have done to stop it and there were other chances in that half like there was a chance that Muziala 1v1 with the keeper and he shot it straight at Unai Simon mm-hmm. and another chance with Lirasani who was also 1v1 with the keeper <laughs> but he just waited a bit too long to take the shot yes. and the chance just got away from him but Germany had the chances to win this game it's not like Spain completely rolled over them and it could have been 4-0 5-0 in another day so in terms of just looking at it that way, it's pretty promising. But I would say that given certain individual performances, there are certain players that should not be starting for Germany in the upcoming games. And I'm going to start with one of them, which is Tilo Kerrer. My God, <laughs> Tilo Kerrer was, he was at fault for the goal that Germany conceded. Like, I know you talked about Yeah, it was Nicolas so Suda, lost like, positioning, but Kerrer yeah, let but, that ball get in. Yeah, he let that ball get in. And it was Jordi Alba, who is the opposition team's fullback, sending that ball in. So there is no excuse for Carrer to be that bad at defending his flank. Like, at the very least, he could have closed Alba down, made that, given Sula some time to get back into position. None of that happened. And Carrer, all game, he was honestly being bailed out by Sula. I feel bad for Sula for being <laughs> at fault for that goal because most of the game, he was just there in the nick of time to bail out Kerrer for not defending properly on that flank. And the dude got hit the first yellow card of the game for an yeah. absolute brain dead challenge on Gavi, which was completely unnecessary. He kept giving up, giving away free kicks in random positions in the first half. Like, I don't get it. I don't get what goes through his head. He just doesn't have the brain of a defender. He has the skills, he has the talent, but he doesn't have, like, he doesn't seem to have that footballing intelligence that really you need to be a defender at this level for Germany. And because of him, I think Germany, he genuinely cost Germany the win today. Do you disagree? He, Do you think I'm no. being, yeah. No, I absolutely think that that he is just not a good player. And like, I think it comes down, it's as simple as that. Like, I think, like you said, he's got ability. There's no denying that. But there are hundreds, thousands of players we've seen come through the ranks that have great ability, but just they're not good players. And I think that's where he fits. I think everyone wants Tilo Kerr to be a good player. He's got great physical tools. He's had a good pedigree. He's played on great clubs. But now you put him in a position where he actually has to take on an important role, and he can't do that. He clearly cannot do that. And I don't think that there's anybody, at least on our site, who ever believed that he could. And, and for us, I mean, we sit around and, and you know, we discuss this ad nauseum because we know that he's not that good. So for me, like I said earlier, I, I'm all for Lucas Klosterman right now. Klosterman's not going to give you that bombing presence despite his excellent speed which I've probably mentioned a million times because that story always cracks me up. But he does not going to give you that Alfonso Davies presence, but he's at least going to give you someone with great recovery speed if he gets beat, someone who will stay at home and provide a steady presence there who you can depend on. And I don't think Lucas Klosterman is some great player, but I think right now he's better than Tilo Kerr. So if it's up to me, Kerr goes to the bench, and I think you have to look very closely at Klosterman, especially because... This next match is going to be incredibly important for obvious reasons, and I don't think you can risk just having a player who might be prone to having an off game. 
So for me, I'm with you 100%. Kara goes to the bench. What about David Rom? David Rom is is another one I would probably I would probably sit him as well. I think Christian Gunter, very similar to Lucas Klosterman, it's just a little more steady. The thing with Rom is I think he's got good like Tilo Kerr, good ability. He's a great athlete. He can get up to up the field quickly. He's to me just a little too reckless. And right now, you don't need reckless in that position. You need stability. And with Rom, he he is the type of player who could change a game. He could absolutely go through, create create a goal, whether with his own foot or with an assist, or he could get beat terribly and cost you a goal. Right now in this next match, you don't need that. So you go with the steady hand. And for me, I go with Christian Gunter. The thing is that with David Raum, I felt that once the subs were made and Germany were on the front foot and attacking, Raum was able to get up the pitch and suddenly he looked a lot better. When Spain were broken down and they were unable to really, I would say, control the game and get numbers forward, that is when Raum his ability seem to shine because he's more of a player that likes to go forward. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. really have much defensive ability to speak of. And for most of the game, he was asked to play like a traditional left back, which th- this comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the pod, which is the players that Hansi selected. You can blame them, I guess, for not executing his tactics, but it felt like the tactics just weren't well thought out to begin with, because why do you have a system that is so passive and not creating anything, and then play a guy like David Raum, who is not good unless he is attacking in that left-back role. I know that people in the game thread, they were suddenly saying, why did we bring David Raum and leave Robin Gosens at home? But the same problem would have happened if Gosens were playing. Yeah, so it's not like just a personal thing. I think it's a complete mismatch in what the coach wanted versus what he got. And I hope that Hansi has learned his lesson, including on someone like Nicholas Fulkrug, who I think we should agree at this point that Nicholas Fulkrug has completely earned a start against Costa Rica. And if he doesn't play at that point, it's just Hansi throwing the game away. 100%. And with Fulkrug, I think it's become blatantly obvious now. Like he, he needs to play. He needs to be the starter. And again, you're not going to get Robert Lewandowski. You're not going to get that type of performance out of him. But the way that he's playing and with those players surrounding him, he has been good when given the opportunity. And, I, you know, we can look at when he entered entered the match and it's the, how quickly he was able to impact. It was impressive, right? He came on in the 70th minute in the 72nd minute, made a great run in front of Rodri, who to me, that's an area where I think Germany could have exposed a little more because I thought he looked very shaky as a center back at times. Uh, he's not terrible by any means, but that's not his natural position. I think a true striker would have been able to give him more problems over the course of the game. But regardless, Fulkrug made a nice run in. It was, I believe it was Musiala who sent a just perfect ball, and it was Musiala, but Fulkrug whiffed on it. And it was unfortunate, but you could see that his impact was going to, to be great. Something good was going to happen because all of a sudden, you had someone creating problems for their center backs. And to me, that was the first thing that I saw where I started to have a little bit of hope because like you... I was pretty downtrodden at that point. And if you remember, I need no name, just one minute later, it was when Musiala had that just terrific run, took the ball, was 1v9, and just opted to try and shoot it rather than slide that pass over. And I think it was actually Fulkrug standing there wide open. Again, young player. I know he he had the ball on his foot. He wanted to take that shot, and that's a great thing. Germany needed 
that needed a goal at that point. So sliding that pass over to his left probably would have been preferable just to get Germany on the board, but whatever. You could see that impact, whether it was the combination of Fulkrug and Sané, what they did together, how they impacted Musiala, and especially like you pointed out, how they impacted those outside backs. Because at that point, you were able to see how the outside backs were be able, they were starting to be able to be a little more courageous and a little more confident when they made those runs in. So Rom became better. Uh, we saw Klosterman come in for Kerr, and he was actually able to get up the field and make an impact as well. So for me, full crew, just the impact that he made in that short amount of time, he's got to be a starter. And as you described, I mean, once that play happened, Sané fed it to Musiala, who just probably didn't mean to touch it the way he did. It bounced off a couple of people and landed with full crew. But the way he finished that, to me, that's a guy you need in the lineup in the next match because, I mean, that's a dream sequence for a player like that. He went from, you know, what, Hanover 96 to bouncing all around. He's now with Werder Bremen. I mean, who would have thought this would have been Germany's World Cup hero to this point? I, I surely didn't, but here we are. So full Krug for me, he's got to be a starter next match. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like you keep mentioning that Moziala, for example, he probably should have passed it to full Krug in that moment. But I would also argue that Moziala up to that point had zero chances before full oh, Krug yeah, came. No, yeah, he came on. So it's like those chances don't happen without a striker on the pitch, at least creating some of the space for the other players to operate in. So yeah, like full Krug without him, Germany looked like a completely different team. I should ask you one thing. Since we saw both Thomas Muller and Serge Gnabry not really have great games. Which one of them do you bench for the next game? Assuming, for example, Leroy Sané is fit to start. So for me, and this is what I would do, for as much as Muller was not involved in the match, he wasn't killing the team. I felt at times Gnabry was killing the team. I, I didn't think he made good with his opportunities. thought he had some poor decisions. And again, like... Like Muller, he wasn't super involved anyway. So for me, obviously, Sané is coming in. If he if he can go at least give me 60 to 75 minutes, Sané starts. I would use Musiala as a wing and start Muller, but I would be very quick with my trigger finger when examining the match. If Muller is not able to impact the game at the 10 position, then I would consider subbing in Gnabry at halftime and switching Musiala to the 10. I don't think Germany is quite going to have that issue against Costa Rica, but that's what I would do. I think it's a no-brainer at this point. As much as I wanted to see all four Bayern players together, it's not working. Um, and, and granted, Sané being hurt hasn't really given them the opportunity to have all four out together, but full Krug is deserved. He, he's showing he deserves a start, and Gnabry hasn't done enough to seize the position. At this point, you, despite his off game today, you really can't take Musiala out if it comes down to Canabri and Muller, I roll with Muller for the next game at least. Okay, good. The Muller Mafia. Thanks you, Chuck. <laughs> so everyone already knows what my answer is, so I will not elaborate. But I guess based on what you've said, I think we can guess what our lineup will be like, or should be against Costa Rica. So I'm just going to go through that. First of all, for Krug up top. Then Sane, if he's fit. If not, then someone else. I don't know who. Maybe Canabri. Muller. Muziala. Then Kemik Goretzka in midfield. Then you would have Christian Gunter at left back, which is, I would point out that it's really weird that Hansi Flick subbed on Nico Schlotterbeck at left back instead of Christian yeah. Gunter today. I, I don't know what was up with that. Like, is that something that Schlotterbeck does? I, I, I don't know. Anyway, Christian Gunter, 
than Antonio Rudiger, who has probably been the most consistent Germany player this tournament so far. And then Nicolas Sula. And at right back, Lucas Klosterman. And finally, Manuel Neuer. Does that sound like a starting eleven that can beat Costa Rica by at least enough goals to make sure Japan don't go through? It needs to be. And, and for somehow we are exactly on the same page because that would be my 11 as well. Um, I think that that will give you the stability you need in the back to allow not just the attackers to really go after it and hopefully do a little gag and pressing, but also allow Leon Goretzka and Yashua Kimmich to do what they do best, which is decide who goes and then actually get after it. Uh, we have seen those two operate in such a manner that either Kimmich or Goretzka typically makes that first run in and the other one becomes a factor in the attack by being that late runner. And if Germany can figure out a way to not just create pressure on Costa Rica with the attackers, but by utilizing those two midfielders running in, I think this could be a way for Germany to get some early goals and not have to worry about those quick counters or, or losing anything in the back because you'll know you'll have Klosterman there. You'll know you'll have Gunter there. They're not going to get out of position. They're going to play it straight and they're going to give Hansi Flick, hopefully, what he needs to get enough goals to get through to the next round. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's one of the great points that you made there. The fact that Germany need a setup that allows them to get forward and be adventurous. Because I remember a moment that I pointed out, like early in the second half where Muziala had the ball, he had driven up the pitch and he was looking for support. But the rest of the team was just far behind him and they were very slow to get up the pitch because up to that point, the attackers for Germany had been dispossessed so easily and so quickly by Spain that no one wanted to take the risk and go forward because that would have put them in a 3v1, 4v1 situation at the back, which would have completely broken down the defensive structure. Because of that, I think that was like a very telling moment for me where I realized that the tactics or the setup is not working and what Flick needs to change because Germany fundamentally when they weren't aggressive, they looked bad. When they were aggressive, when they were on the front foot, they looked good. That's just my feeling. No, I agree. There's got to be a mix there for this unit to be able to know when to just go, as Oliver Kahn would aptly put it, balls out, to go after the goal. And I don't think with the setup they had that Germany was able to do that in any, any type of coherent fashion. Adding Leroy Sané to the mix and what he brings with his explosiveness with the ball on his foot with his ability to rip off a quick left-footed shot, uh, what he brings to the table and how you could see him elevate the other players around him. To me, that's something you need, and I think it's something against a team like Costa Rica. I think that Flick is going to be able to utilize that. He's going to be able to get more from Sané and help him get something out of Nicholas Fulkrug, Thomas Muller, and Jamal Musiala if Flick goes with our approved starting 11. I hope he does. I just hope so. So I need no name. We have really taken a deep dive into the match. And like I said, you and I could go on for hours about this because I'm sure we still haven't hit all of our thoughts. But to me, this is the perfect time to transition to another theme for this show. And it's has Bayern Munich had a bad World Cup? And, and what we mean by that is, I mean, when you look at the performances of Bayern Munich's players, when you look at some of the injuries that the players have suffered, has this been a disastrous World Cup for Bayern or has it been good? Because I know where I, I fall on this. I need no name. How do you feel about it? I mean, what else can you say? This has been <laughs> nothing but an absolute abject disaster for Bayern Munich at this World Cup. Because, 
I mean, we could go player by player and just talk about what has happened. Uh, who do you want to start with? Oh, uh, let's start with well. Why don't we start with Germany? Because I'm sure we can we can hit on those players pretty quickly, and then be able to really oh, man, take a Germany look at some again. of those. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if I want to talk about Germany anymore. I mean, look. First of all, we have Jamal Musiala, who I told everyone in my life that you watch the World Cup. There is this kid for Bayern Munich. He is lighting up world football, and he's going to be amazing at the World Cup. And Oh, man, his performances have been so far away from lighting up. Like, it's not his fault. I know that. But the people I'm talking to, they don't know that. And because yeah. of that, I'm having to ask the questions like, who is Musada? Why isn't he Why isn't he playing well? well? What's going on? Do you actually not know anything about football? So <laughs> Musiala is not doing well. Thomas Muller is not doing well, as discussed. Leroy Sané not even playing. He got injured. The injury problem is just... It's another thing that Bayern Munich is having to uh. deal with. Then there's Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka. Both of them got yellow cards today. And both of them, I don't know what to make of their performances so far. I wouldn't call them bad, but I wouldn't call them good either. Manuel Neuer, well, basically, like, he's not really had much to do in terms of, like, I guess he was good against Japan, but today, not really anything to do in terms of crucial saves, except for the one, I think that one Daniel almost shot. But it's not like he's having one of those vintage World Cups like he had in 2014, right? And then there's finally Serge Canabry, who is... <laughs> who every time Serge Gnabry steps on the pitch, it makes me wonder how we offered him a 70 million a year contract and how he could actually think twice about accepting it because this guy is just the most confusing, most enigmatic footballer at this club, which is saying something because we have Kingsley Coman as well. So like <laughs> between all these guys, I don't know what to say about Bayern Munich at the World Cup. Like I watching these guys you think that these guys play for some kind of chump team not <laughs> the best the best team in the first half of the season in europe so do you it, disagree it, it, no it's it's been very weird i mean i i would definitely say muller musiala Gnabry have all underperformed for sure neuer's been okay Kimmich and goretzka have been okay i mean they haven't changed the game in a great way uh it's sad At to say they haven't but, been bad but Right, they haven't been bad, but it's sad to say, but the person who has been the best has really only played about, what, 20 minutes, and that's Leroy Sané. So, I mean, I don't know what that says about the Bayern contingent for Germany, but to me, it's it's been very, very disappointing. And with a player like Musiala, it's tough. Maybe this is a big stage for him. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure on him, and I think he probably is in a position in life where he sees a lot of the hype building around him. So I don't doubt that the, he's put some extra pressure on himself. I'm sure he can look around the pitch and say, all right, nobody's doing anything. I have to try something. And I think that has affected his decision-making. I think it's really put this undue weight on his shoulders that he doesn't need. He just needs to be free and play. But in a situation like this, he didn't have Sané really in the first game and three quarters of the way through the second game to alleviate some of that. Gnabry has been awful. Muller is coming off of an injury and has been ineffective. No one else from the bench, minus Nicholas Fulkrug, has really looked like they could impact the game positively. So for me, it's been disappointing with Musiala, but I do think that this is more of a learning experience for him, and it's a tough way to learn, but he's going to have to figure out when he's going to have to start to tune out that noise around him and focus on on what he needs to do. And with him, 
he is at his best when he looks like he's having fun out there. And to me, he has not looked like he's having fun at all. So I, I don't think the German contingent of, of Bayern Munich's German contingent has has really been good at all. And I'm really disappointed in them. I'm not going to lie. They they need to be better than what they've shown. And sure, there's tactical reasons why they haven't been as good. But at, in the end, I think players have to go out there and produce and perform. And, and they haven't done that. And maybe at times I'm a little harder on Kimmich and Gretzka because I do expect so much of them. But again, like they're not making those impactful plays that we have become so accustomed to seeing. And to me, it's there's no other word but disappointing. If we transition over to France, though, uh, it'd be pretty you'd be hard pressed to say that there have not been some impressive showings and then some totally depressing showings. And the depressing showing we'll start with is Luca Hernandez, who it's depressing because he has suffered a season ending injury. And that's just it's debil- debilitating for France and for Bayern Munich alike. To me, Pavard has been pretty good. Upamakano has been outstanding. But Coman Pavard is has a, lost yeah. his place. <laughs> yes, he is basically an afterthought right now. So if you want to dive into France, go ahead. I, I think that well, Upamakano has been by far the standout of that group. Yeah, Upamakano is showing everyone that slandered him last season what he is actually capable of. He is having his breakout year at this World Cup. Like If he wasn't already at Bayern Munich, you would be getting shouts for... Chelsea or Manchester City to buy him for 100 million from RB Leipzig because he has been so good and he's putting up passing numbers that are better than top level forwards. Okay, his passes into the final third are elite and the way he just plays, the way he positions himself, the way he times his runs, his tackles, his interceptions, it's everything that you would need from a modern center back and it's just perfect. Then on the other hand, you have Lucas mm-hmm. Hernandez. Not only did he tear his ACL, he did it in the midst of defending a goal that France conceded. And he did not look good while doing it. So his last memory of the World Cup is being responsible for a goal. And then you hear the news that he actually considered retiring, which is not a first for a Bayern Munich Frenchman. And his mother had to talk mm-hmm. him out of it. Obviously, we hope he doesn't retire, but it looks like Bayern Munich will offer him support by extending his contract while he's still like injured. That's probably going to be one of our major topics of discussion further down the line, I guess, in the next few months. But for now, I guess Lucas Hernandez's World Cup has been a complete and total disaster. Then you have Pavard. I will say the silver lining here is that Pavard is one of our last few fit defenders. And I'm glad he's not starting anymore because we cannot have any more injuries <laughs> at defense. Kingsley Coman doesn't even start for... France, which I don't know why, because he's basically Osman Dembele, but a lot cheaper. But I guess France doesn't pay Dembele's salary, so they don't really care. And that's what I have to say. Apart from Tyler Bacano, <laughs> Bayern's French contingent is looking about as bad as the German contingent. Maybe not as abject, not as depressing, but almost <laughs> as bad. Let's, yeah, can we talk about much... something? Yeah, can we talk about <laughs> something a bit better, a bit nicer? Well, it doesn't get doesn't get much better if you look at some of the other countries either. Matthijs De Ligt has not been good. Oh, man. The De Ligt. I, can, I, can I talk about De Ligt? Because <laughs> yeah, go ahead. first of all, I, I watched that game, the opening game for the Netherlands. And we, first of all, when De Ligt was put on the lineup, everyone on Bayern Football Twitter, they completely, they just celebrated because we've been having this beef with Ajax fans about Urien Timber and whether or not Delict should start ahead of him. And finally, Louis Van Hal benched Timber and put Delict on the pitch. But he did it in such a weird way. He put him in a 
right center back, right back hybrid role, which is so dumb. And Dilek was getting cooked out there. He was getting absolutely annihilated for against Senegal. And Senegal, Sadio Mane, oh my God, injured, doesn't even play. And if Sadio Mane had played, I think we should count our blessings because Dilek was fouling as much as he could on that flank and Sadio Mane plays on that flank. So it could have happened that not only would Sadio Mane have humiliated Dilek on that flank, Dilek could have fouled Sadio Mane and we would have had another guy missing any a whole season due to injury. So we actually kind of got lucky in that sense. <laughs> like, I can't even talk about how bad this is. And then after the game, Dilek literally said to the media, because the coach paid me at right center back, that's not a role I like. I cannot play that role. I'm bad at it. And then the next game, he's benched. So yeah, that, that's it. That I, was awful. Yeah, that's awful. And I don't think Van Hal is going to give him any more minutes. But, but for propaganda's sake, I should point out the Netherlands kept a clean sheet in the opener against Senegal and that they didn't keep a clean sheet in the next game. So, and they didn't have delays. So it's, I, I, I don't, it's, it's, it's <laughs> very disappointing. It's just like, what can you say? This is so bad. Like, what are we supposed to talk about? Like our friends and family who only watch <laughs> the world cup and nothing else. So what do we tell them that, Hey, yeah. this guy is so good for buying, but he looks like a bum for his national team because, because, because what, what are we supposed to say? Well, it, it, it's hilarious because I was such a big fan of that move when Bayern Munich made it. But to hear DeLict talk about, you know, being unhappy or uncomfortable playing, you know, out of position instead of just owning that he didn't play that well. To me, that was really disappointing. And, and at that point, I knew he was going to get benched for at least the next game. And I don't know if we'll see much more of him, but at some point. He's going to have to be held accountable for some of the things that he does. And while he's largely been pretty good at Bayern Munich, he's also had some game-changing bad decisions. And I don't know, I need to see something more from him. I need to see more consistency. And I need to see him start to take more accountability for what he does. Because when he does make mistakes, I don't want to say he's always finger-pointing. I don't necessarily believe that. But I do think he finds it too easy to say it's it's not completely my fault. Here's why. So but, I would just like to see him once in a while say, you know what? I had an off game. It was a different position than what I'm used to. I should have done better with it. I would have liked to have seen that. When you look at I some of the... I will say, <laughs> I guess that's fair. But I will just say that that is still like, I don't understand why Van Hall played him that way. No. Because if you no, had to like, it was really it's, stupid. It just did not make any sense. Like, yeah. Delate is a left center back. He plays that way for Juventus and Bayern. Why would he do that? Yeah, Delict is saying that to the media. That probably should have been kept for the coaches' ears only. But yeah, yeah not not good. And we Silver can, lining we can... though, <laughs> he's not going to get injured while on the bench. Yeah, yeah. I hope that's the last you, thing you hope. needs. Is... <laughs> yeah, he'll probably get hit with a ball or something and and, and break his nose and be be out for a while or something. But yeah. we can skim through the rest of these because it doesn't really get that much better. Yeah, Senegal, Fonzie. of course, Sadio Mane missed it. He's out. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's out. smart. <laughs> that Fonzie, Fonzie, oh. he misses his penalty in his yeah. first game. Oh, my God. Oh he my did God. have a worldie again. Yeah, today, he was amazing. Yeah. yeah, and he was great. And, like, at, at the very least, you can't say that Fonzie did not put his heart out on the pitch and for Canada. And he looked like a level above everyone else on the pitch. And we are talking about a pitch with players like Kramaric, Modric, um, Perisic, all these guys. And I think Fonzie was the best player on the pitch, even if you count all the goals that Kramaric scored. But Fonzie, he's going to be disappointed going out early. But I'm not disappointed because 
he needs that two months of rest. Honestly, he yeah. he needs all the rest he can get, and I hope that he's ready for our second half of the season because we don't have any left backs other than him. Right, Lucas is injured for the rest of the season, so we need him. We need him to play against PSG. We need him to stop Mbappe and Neymar. So. I'm glad that Fonzi is not going to be progressing in the tournament, though he might not be. No Sir Matsurai. <laughs> oh. I mean, he's not been bad. Like, no, at least he's not he... been bad, but he injury is scared. Also got hurt. <laughs> he got hurt in the first game. He had to be stretched off. I was watching that and I wanted to cry. I was like thinking, oh my God, what is happening? And then Masrawi got stretched off. Then it turns out that his injury is not that serious. Like, just to describe what happened, he was basically going for a diving header and he landed very hard on his side. And then he got up and he was basically like pointing to his pelvic area, like his hip bone, and like saying that he had some discomfort there. He tried to continue for the next three or four minutes, but then he finally sat down on the pitch and said he could not. And then they brought out a stretcher. And when they brought out the stretcher, I was very stressed out because, you know, when you see a player getting stretched off, that's never pleasant. But apparently that was just, I don't know, a protocol thing. He was stretched off, but it turns out he was good enough. He was well enough to play full 90 minutes. And Morocco, they ended up beating Belgium. So good on them. But that also means that Morocco are in pole position to advance. And that's not good for us because that means Mastrawi will end up playing more games. And with the way... The tournament is going. Our defense is going to need as much rest as they can because we need them fit for PSG. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's funny because you want to enjoy aspects of the World Cup like Morocco beating Belgium. But it also, as you say, could have a negative connotation when it comes to Bayern Munich and putting more of their players at risk. Of course, we have a couple more players to to go through and it won't take long because Josip Stanisic is pretty much been a non-factor for Croatia yeah. and Eric Maxim Chupo Moting has not done a lot for Cameroon. Hopefully this is not uh, Chupo losing his form or Chupo uh, being rendered ineffective because he also needs to be at a mental level where he is confident and able to help Bayern Munich. Overall, I, I'm not super thrilled with how Bayern Munich has been represented by the players at this World Cup. I think that's pretty safe to say we're we're in agreement with that. Yeah, this has been a very miserable World Cup to watch for Bayern Munich fans. More miserable, I think, than the last one, which at least we had all our French players doing well. And then then there was the fact that Pavard, we had all those transfer rumors for, about him at the World Cup. It just, did you see that stat that Fonzie is our first Bayern Munich player to score in the World Cup since 2014, where Goethe scored in the final? That stat just stood out to me. Like, we have not it's been doing well. We're not yeah. doing well in World Cups. We just washed. So it feels <laughs> bad. It just feels bad. But I guess I think that's where we should leave off today. Kind of depressing. But maybe <laughs> next week when we talk about Germany, we will be talking about a preview for Germany's knockout stage games. Maybe if they don't completely screw it up against Croatia and if hopefully Spain get the job done against Japan. So that is pretty much it from me and Chuck. You can find us on pretty much any podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. You can find us on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works and also our personal accounts, which I cannot remember, but like, come on, do you need to? And then there is also our blog where we have full analysis and news and match pieces of the game. Please check us out there. Leave comments on the blog. Join the discussion. Our community is great. 
and we will see you next time, which I'm not sure which one it'll be, but it'll probably be something Germany are buying. Stay tuned and thank you for listening.